Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Elpidio Villareal, or PD as he's known, a New York lawyer. PD has dedicated his career to working in-house as a corporate lawyer and has developed a reputation for tackling disputes and crises creatively. In 2012, he was awarded the International Institute Award for Conflict Prevention and Resolution. So, PD, welcome. Very nice to chat with you again. And, and tell us just a little bit about your background and this passion for tackling crisis. <laughs> well, you know, um, I grew up in Texas and I, I started practicing law in Chicago a long time ago. And um, it has an, uh, my interest in it has a sort of interesting kind of twist to it. Uh, one of the partners at my law firm in Chicago, where I was an associate, is, uh, was a guy named Scott Turow who then went on to become kind of a famous novelist. And uh, he, he was interested in using mediation to resolve disputes because he felt that, you know, the traditional litigation route was wasteful and, you know, uh, and generated a lot of animosity and ill will. And so he and I did a number of mediations uh, at a time when they were relatively rare still. And, and I really got hooked on it because I, I became convinced that it, it really was a better way. I mean, I was doing this, all this high stakes, high pressure, intense litigation, and really wondering whether there wasn't a better way for uh, two people who had a disagreement uh, to come to a resolution. So that sort of started the whole thing. And then uh, I, when I went in-house, uh, again, I was sort of fortunate in that I, I, I got a position as a senior litigator at uh, the General Electric Company. At a time when the General Electric Company was run by a guy named Jack Welch, and, and it was very much a center of innovative thinking all across the, the business, and, and, and the legal department was not exempt from that. And we were challenged, the whole company was challenged by Welch at the time to completely reimagine the way they were doing their, the way everyone was doing their jobs. So you had to sort of, it was a whole Six Sigma process, or Six Sigma it was a quality control mechanism, mm -hmm. and you had to sort of dissect your job, you know, almost minute by minute, and ask yourself, what is it that I'm doing? How am I doing it? And how can I do it better? Mm -hmm. um, so it was about process improvement. Mm -hmm. And the lawyers, or at least the litigators, felt that this is ridiculous to apply this you know, concept, maybe great for a, a, an assembly line, but that it was absurd to think that it had any applicability to litigation. And I said about, I think I thought they were wrong, and I said about to prove it by applying Six Sigma techniques to what it is that lawyers do, uh, and or at least that what litigators do. And, and I, I found that it actually quite a lot of applicability, that, you know, that there's a, if you chart the course of the average litigation dispute, you realize that there's a lot of unnecessary steps, right? That mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the point is to get to a resolution at the for the defendant at the best possible price, and for the uh, the plaintiff at the best possible price as the as well. And that the and that the courts really exist to facilitate and uh, that process. But maybe the parties can figure a way to get there sooner and better. And, and so what we set about to do is not just to use mediation in an individual manner, the way Scott Turow and I were doing it, but instead to build it into the system itself, right? To make 
resolution the purpose of the of, of a litigation uh, department and 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 therefore we begin to channel everything towards the early analysis and then the early resolution of disputes and we measure things like how quickly have we resolved the dispute because it was very clear that one of the drivers of the cost of litigation was quite simply its length the longer a case uh, was active the more attorney time was spent the more expensive it was to litigate the case and not just in attorney time but also in lost business opportunities for the business as well too so that led to this concept of systemic ADR which we called early dispute resolution or EDR because we wanted to distinguish it from just ADR, which is a fine thing, but but is is is, is sort of case specific, matter specific, and and suggested what we were talking about was a whole concept, a whole different approach towards a resolution of dispute. So we did that at uh, at, uh, at GE, and then I carried that concept on to my subsequent employers at Shearing Plow, which was acquired by uh, uh, by Merck, uh, and then at GSK, which obviously continues. Uh, to exist, and uh, and then uh, more recently at Arlington, which has now been acquired by Abbey. So, uh, so, so that's sort of the history of how I got to to be associated with this concept of early dispute resolution. And I met you, gosh, uh, man, I don't know, at least fifteen years ago, might be longer, PD, uh, in Washington when you were with GE at that stage, and. You're right. I mean, ADR was, I mean, for us in the UK was quite new then as a principle, but you had taken it so many steps further in saying, you know, why are we, why are we spending so long on this? I talk about this thing about cost control and cycle time and how long it takes to get a case through to resolution. And, and what impressed me about what you were doing is that you'd made this company wide. In fact, you'd cascaded this approach through the company so that everybody in the organization understood the principles and the practice behind what you were trying to achieve and even and even even your suppliers and your customers understood that these were your principles or your values early dispute resolution right there's a whole you know to make this i think truly successful you you have to change the whole culture that the environment of litigation not just one individual lawyer, not even one individual litigation department or one litig or one legal group. You know, the, it's 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 also your suppliers, right? The law firms. It's also your clients, right? The the internal clients for for whom we work. Uh, all of everybody has to buy into the new philosophy. Law firms, for example, have to understand that um, we know we don't really just care about the fact that you took an you know, had an exciting trial or maybe you took an interesting deposition in the States or something. We care about the whole picture. What is the total cost of conflict to the organization? And, and then you need to reward law firms, lawyers who understand that principle and, and uh, punish, I guess, in a way by exclusion, law firms who uh, resist and who want to continue to do things the old-fashioned way, which is, you know, to build time, um, which is uh, the enemy of the company itself. So what I'm really interested in, PD, is you talked there about culture and how this had to be woven into the culture of the organization. And, you know, culture is, is really important. And we're trying to think 
in the time that we're in at the moment about how do we create more collaborative cultures in organizations you know this idea of us all coming together in in the time we're in which is this time of covid19 this virus and we're thinking about what's that taught us about needing to work together more and build a collaborative culture and one of the papers i've been well, a couple of things i've worked with was something way back in 1995 called tomorrow's company inquiry which was looking at companies and how they needed to undo this adversarial approach to relationships across the whole company um, uh, and, and and looking at that and and understanding how we build culture and the other was a paper i think it came out of harvard uh, we're saying if we want uh, collaboration we need to both accept technology and actively manage conflict and those two things i think um you know being able to understand that conflict's essential to an organization but we have to build a culture which manages it early and i wondered therefore in the time where we're in now this sort of covid19 post covid19 looking at how the world can actually come together and actually what corporations can do to lead what you might see you've learnt um, from this early dispute resolution movement that we could apply in companies today? Well, look, I think we're all going to, I think we're all going to see exactly, you know, what the world looks like post-COVID. But my bet, and I think others would agree, is that it will have a profound impact on society. And it could very well affect the way we think about conflict, at least in the on the legal side. I think people may begin to question anew and with renewed focus and force whether the paradigm of you know litigation as a kind of war is viable anymore, whether it continues to make sense. And, uh, and I think, you know, obviously I given my background, uh, I think it doesn't, right? I think it may create an opportunity for companies to start to use a different vocabulary a different language to talk about uh, about how we resolve conflict because conflict is inevitable what isn't inevitable is how we get through it right is it does it become a destructive thing or do, or can you use it to uh, to minimize the negative consequences and perhaps even to create some uh, positive uh, energy around around that process and i think the you know in my industry i think in particular and i'm sure there are other industries that are probably find themselves in the same boat um you know conflict as a way of resolve you know warfare as a way of resolving uh, disagreements and conflicts is going to look increasingly archaic and prehistoric i think in a post-covid era where you know so much we you know we've seen our interdependence right we've seen how all of us are connected and one person's illness can bring down an entire society Mm -hmm. uh, and that we have a vested interest in how all the rest of us live and operate. And so it could create an opportunity uh, to do things a little different and a little better, hopefully. I think, you know, if you're a pharma company, for example, you know, it's an opportunity for, it's an opportunity for the industry to, you know, to help people understand how critical that industry is. I mean, after all, if we're going to have a permanent solution to this, it will almost certainly involve a pharmaceutical product, right? Mm -hmm. It will almost certainly involve a vaccine. Mm -hmm. And the industry is turning over everything to try to get there as quickly as possible. So it's that importance, right? When you become that important, there's a lot of good that flows from that, but there's responsibility that flows to that. My own view is that in the post-COVID world, 
This was true pre-COVID, but it's going to be even more true post-COVID for industry to show that they understand the new world. They understand, you know, the way people want to live going forward. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, we can take the opportunity. I mean, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, rosy-eyed about all this, but I do think there's an opportunity to make real improvement and real change in the way we respond to conflict and deal with conflict in this society. Mm, I agree with you, PD. And I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, not just pharmaceutical companies, but given that we're all looking for leaders now in this new world, how can companies lead? How can all companies step up and show that they understand the role of conflict, but also they understand the role of a collaborative culture? How can they step up and lead us at this time? Well, you know, I think the industry always likes to, this industry, but other industries, of course, always like to emphasize their social mission and purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say that, you know, the key to building a great team, one of the keys to building a great team is to teach and inculcate in your team why we're doing what we're doing. It's not just about making money. A company exists to fulfill a real human need. And that's true of every company, because if you don't, if you're not fulfilling a real human need, then you have to wonder why you're around to begin with. That's very easy for in the healthcare industry, right? It's very obvious that the work we do has a direct connection to, uh, to people's lives. And that's our purpose, right? To make people healthier and, and lead longer lives and, and, and all of that. I, I think it's an opportunity, again, for companies to refocus on their purpose and to communicate that purpose more effectively to you know the out out people outside the company and you you're beginning to see that now you know i saw an ad just the other day for a major pharmaceutical company that was very explicit about how in these times if you can't afford our medicines we want to hear from you that's that's the kind of thing mm -hmm. right that could 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 really change the in, image of the entire industry for yeah. the benefit of the, both the industry and its customers yeah and so then I wonder what we as individuals can do. So we're looking at sort of what are the levels, you know, obviously we've got governments in different countries at levels and, and some of us are not always so happy with the way we're governed or led, but I'm looking at what are the alternatives. Can we look to organizations to lead us in these uh, principles and, uh, and the matter of collaboration as we move forward? But what about us as individuals, PD? What, what can we all do? Well, I think we, we need to model the behavior that we, we say we, we support. Right, we need to model it. I'm not just in our personal lives. I think that's important. But from a business perspective, we need to model it within the organization. Right? We need to show people, look, we're, you know, I'm not just saying this. This isn't just you know, for the annual report buried back in the footnotes. This is the way we want to work as a company because it is right for the company, because it is right for our customers and for the people that we, uh, that we, that we support and for the purpose and the mission that we, we believe in, that we exist for. I think it's, you know, it's important on people like me and other senior people in an organization to model those behaviors and to inculcate them in, in, in their teams. And then you can, you know, I, you know, I think if you, people ask me what I'm the proudest of, I mean, you know, there, there have been cases and Supreme Court cases and all kinds of stuff that have been very exciting, but the, the best thing that I've ever done and that I'm proudest of and that I get the most sort of gratification out of is to build great lawyers. 
right? To build great lawyers who, you know, who, whose values and whose behavior, right, uh, you know, reflect what it is that we want to see in our professionals, in our lawyers uh, in particular. So uh, when, I, when I see that, you know, and I, it just is, it really makes me feel like I have actually accomplished something meaningful. I think that's a wonderful message, Piri, and I think if every leader could have that pride in, you know, what they've created in their teams and in the individuals and how that reflects and, you know, ripples out through society, that would be wonderful. So I wonder if you have one last message for listeners, viewers, for from you today about this sort of post-COVID world and everything that you've learned that can be applied in it. I think, you know, you know, every crisis, you know, it has been said by many, a crisis also represents an opportunity. And I think what, you know, I think what I would do and what I intend on doing in my next venture is to say, look, the world has changed. Um, and, you know, our job is to try to make something good come out of, uh, of this terrible tragedy and this terrible disaster. And it starts with me. It starts with us and our own behaviors. And it starts with the org and it carries out into the organization. We want to be ambassadors for the new world. I think that's wonderful. PD, thank you. It's been such a delight chatting with you again. As I say, you inspired me many years ago on this journey of early dispute resolution, and it's even more relevant today than it ever was before. So bless you. Thank you very much for taking the it, time to be with us today. It was, it was a pleasure, Jane. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the end of this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series. And if you would like access to my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, and to download a PDF copy of my book, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom, please go to janegarden.co.uk forward slash video. And the link is also in the show notes. Thank you again and see you next time. Thank you.